Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, and you would, I want you to find Matthew, the 18th chapter. Matthew, the 18th chapter, starting in verse 15 through verses 20, are some of the hardest verses in the New Testament. And there is a few reasons they are some of the most difficult verses in the New Testament. They are not difficult to interpret. They are some of the most straightforward and simple verses that you will ever read. Black and white, no trouble in the original language. They are straightforward. But they are absolutely the most difficult verses in the New Testament to apply. You say, well, Jake, I can't imagine anything being difficult that our Lord told us. But yet, in all of my life in churches, I have never seen this commandment obeyed. Now, if I was to tell you tonight that we're going to stop baptizing, you'd say, whoa, can't stop baptizing people. If I was to tell you tonight, we're going to stop taking the Lord's Supper. You'd say, no, can't stop taking the Lord's Supper. If I was going to tell you, we're no longer going to sing before preaching. Say, you can't, the Bible tells us to worship. Or if I was to say, we're not going to preach anymore. Jamie's going to sing. And that'll be it. You say, this is it. I've had enough of this. You cannot disregard what God has said in his word. But yet, when we come to Matthew, the 18th chapter, in verse 15, some things happen. One, the religious legalistic police come out and say, see, we need to be running people away from the church. Other people say, all these verses don't really mean that. And if you live these verses, you will destroy a church and every relationship that you have. But tonight I want to tell you that chapter 18 is one special chapter. It's all about how we love each other as Christians. First time in the Bible that you start to see this idea of called out people for the church. Doesn't call them to the church, but called out people. Jesus talked about a little child and childlike faith. Jesus talked about the fact that we should be very careful not to wound that new believer in that childlike faith. We looked at how the lost sheep, about when a person goes from God as a prodigal, how we are thankful that God chases them down and brings them home. And I want you to think about this because as we come to verse 15, most likely Jesus still has a child either standing right beside him or sitting on his lap. You see, we think of these other verses, and we think because literally it says that Jesus tells a little child, what? To come to him in verse 2, and set him in the midst of them. So I don't know exactly what this setting would have looked like if Jesus would have been sitting like this teaching, and this child is sitting in front of him. We don't know if he'd have been sitting like this, and the child would have been sitting here. We don't know for sure, but he was in possibly Peter's home. And in this passage of Scripture, he is giving us these words about how we love each other in the church and how we care for each other and how we treat each other. And then he says in verse 14, Even so, it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven what one of these little ones should perish. And we looked about how that was talking about the sheep that were already his going astray for destruction. And so he says, we don't want destruction to happen. And now I'm going to tell you how not to allow that to happen. I'm going to give you, Jesus says, exactly what it takes to keep the church 
together. I'm going to give you exactly what it takes for you to rescue believers who are living in sin. He is going to give us the specific instructions on how the church can be the real church. But yet you say, wait a second, Jake, you just told me that you have never seen it practiced ever in a church. And I would say to you tonight, that is why the church of Jesus Christ is weak and anemic. You say, well, not this church, Jake. We've got eight baptisms in seven days. We've got uh, new families all the time. But yet, there is still more power that God has available to His people. There's more that God can do. There are greater things that God can accomplish if we will do it His way. Over the last 10 years, I've had a lot of people say, Jake, what is the secret to a church growing? And I always tell them, I have no idea. I have done everything wrong that my seminary professors told me don't do. If they said, don't have Sunday night church, guess what we do? Have Sunday night church. If they say, don't sing any hymns because people don't like hymns, guess what we still sing? Still sing hymns. You can't have a choir anymore because choirs are for old people. Sunday morning you walked in, there were some old people in the choir, but it was still a choir. Oh, Jake, you can't have burgundy because burgundy's outdated, right? All of these nonsense things we put for what it takes for the church to grow. But tonight I want you to hear one simple thing. Jesus builds his church. And if a man tells you, I will build the church, he is in direct competition with the master builder. I don't want to be in competition with Jesus. I want to find out how he builds his church and help him as he does it. And just be there for the ride. And so if you would stand with me out of Matthew, out of reverence to the reading of God's word. And we will do our very best tonight to see if we can become the church that God wants us to be. Starting in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. You say, I heard this verse this morning. You're right. Between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on any earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Verse 20 is used at every prayer meeting I've ever been to explain why no one shows up. But that is absolutely not the context. Do you know that Jesus is with you always? As long as one person shows up to pray, guess what? The Lord is there. That text is about when God's people get serious about living holy and dealing with sin. And so you've heard it misquoted at every prayer meeting you've ever been at. Because it's not about the prayer meeting. It's about agreeing to do what God has asked us to do. And so if you would pray with me tonight. Father... 
Lord, you know my insecurities. Lord, you know the fact that I have rewrote this sermon 30 times. New introductions, new points, trying not to offend, trying not to hurt, trying not to wound, trying not to, to, to let personal experiences and personal failings impact your word tonight. Lord, but I pray that you would just help me to have a clarity of mind to know what to say and when to say it and Lord, what not to say. And Lord, help me tonight not preach in the flesh, but in the power of your spirit. And Lord, I pray tonight that your word would impact and change and do what only it can do through the Spirit's work. And so, Father, tonight I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for his conviction and encouragement and love. And tonight, God, I just pray that you would do what only you can do. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so you read those verses and you begin to think, oh my. Because tonight, you are probably in one of two camps of people. You are probably a people pleaser. That you would avoid conflict at all cost. Doesn't matter what it costs or what it costs you, I will not have conflict. And there are other people in this room tonight that would fight all the time. There's something about a righteous cause that makes us want to stand up and shout, stand up and fight. And there's that, that motivation in us that says, you let me at them. Right, I can line them out. I can straighten them out. I can fix them. But tonight I want you to know that the passage of this scripture is with one thing in mind. It's not about cleaning up church roles. It's not about criticizing other people. It is about when Jesus says that there are people who are going to go astray. And when there are people who are believers that are going to backslide and almost crash on the rocks, this is how we rescue them. Now, I don't swim very much because me without a shirt on is an ugly picture. And apparently when you wear a swimming shirt, it just sticks to you where it's an even uglier picture than when you don't have a shirt on. It's just the truth. But every time I go to a pool and I sit and watch creepily like other old men do, I guess, there are always devices there that you can use if someone drowns. They are round and you can throw them into the water. If you remember the Baywatch days, they carried them. They were long and orange, right? And they could swim out and save people. We know in the medical field, there are numerous equipment that can save your life, whether it is an AED machine, whether it is a lot of things, a breathing machine. They, they can change your life when you are on the death's doorstep. But tonight I would tell you this, that the reason that people go astray in the church the reason that relationships are broken in the church that shouldn't be, the reason that we have churches full of unforgiving people is because we have looked at these six verses and said they are a suggestion rather than a mandate. They are a possible prescription instead of the only antidote. Look what it says here because Jesus is telling us we are looking at people being destroyed. And people ending up in destruction. And churches and families being torn apart. And people abandoning their faith. And then he says, but let me tell you how to stop it. And how to fix it. And so tonight I would tell you that if we really love people that we go to church with. If we really love other Christians. These verses must become a principle that we cannot live without. A principle that we will apply no matter 
the difficulty. You say, well, Jake, this is just your opinion. Actually, it's not. 2 Timothy says this about the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All Scripture. All Scripture means all of it. You say, Jake, I don't like Matthew chapter 18. doesn't matter. God put it in there, and it's all inspired. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. And these verses are about correction. For instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we want to see a church that can have true unity, if we want to see a church that can bring back the wayward person, if we want to be a part of a church that can avoid the the unforgiveness and the complacency that we see so often, this verse must become important. And so tonight I want you to look at it with me. It is talking about when sin happens. You say, Jake, which sins apply to this verse? Is it when a member falls into homosexuality? Is it when one of our members is drunk at the Elks? Is it when we find out that someone is living a double life and has a double family? Look what it says in verse 14, 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. You say, I wish he would have been more specific. I wish he would have clarified which sins to uh, live here. Well, guess why he left it this way? Because all sin is a disobedient rebellion against God. If you were offended by a a statement that I made from the pulpit and you felt that it was sin towards you, it applies. If you felt that someone was not friendly to you in the lobby or someone did not ask you to serve or something happened that offended you and you feel that it was sin, it applies. If you were driving through town and saw someone who wasn't married to another person sneaking out the back door of someone else's house, it applies. There is not a sin here that it is not including. It includes all sins. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. And so tonight, reconciliation in the church, reconciliation in life, rescuing people is dependent on one simple fact. I have to be honest when I have been sinned against. You say, Jake, whose fault is it when people are upset in the church? It is the person that does the upsetting, but it is more on the person who was upset. You say, Jake, that's gaslighting. That, that, uh, that's manipulating. No, the Bible says this is the mandate for when something happens to you that hurts you, this is the answer to fix it. Because we serve a God who wants to reconcile. We serve a God who wants to heal. We we serve a God who wants to put brokenness back together. You say, Jake, that's not what I have seen in church. It is someone gets mad, someone else gets mad. We fight, we split, we run, we circle, we spin around, we do all of these things. But yet we never see a picture of what God looks like when two people can be brought together by something that is bigger than themselves. And that is the love of Jesus. You say, Jake, you're meddling tonight. I didn't write Matthew 18. And if you would have not noticed, I would have skipped all of these verses tonight. I would have jumped right down to verse 21 and moved on. You say, Jake, how important is this tonight? Listen to what James chapter 5 says in verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, this almost gives the idea that it happens without us knowing. 
It starts like this. Well, you know what? I really was upset by that. So I'm not going to serve in vacation Bible school this year. Don't worry. If I offend you, I'm sorry tonight. Well, I tell you what, not only was I offended in vacation Bible school, now I'm not going to serve in the nursery. You know what? I'm just really upset about that. I'm not going to serve in vacation Bible school. I'm not going to serve in the, in the nursery. And you know what? I'm not coming back on Sunday night. You just, I'm just not going to do it. And then it's, I'm not going to serve in vacation Bible school. I'm not going to serve in the nursery. I'm not coming on Sunday. And you know what? I'm just about tired of my Sunday school teacher too. I'm coming for church. I'll do as little as I can because that's what I need to do. And before you even recognize it, that unforgiveness, that bitterness, that whatever has happened, and it's probably valid, or it might not be valid, you end up saying, you know what, I'm not going to work in vacation Bible school, I'm not going to work in the nursery, I'm not going to come on Sunday night, I'm not coming to Sunday school, and no one has even said anything to me about it. And the next thing you know, they're gone. You say, Jake, what does that mean? It means that they have wandered from the truth. But look what it says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We are called to rescue the wanderer. You say, well, Jake, I don't know anybody that's out living in a tavern and not coming to church. This is not what it's talking about. It's talking about slowly drifting. It gives the idea of a ship where the captain is asleep. It gives the idea that when little things begin to build, it eventually overwhelms us before we realize it. And so it says in Matthew chapter 18, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. The Bible understands that you and I will be hurt. You and I will be offended. You and I will be sinned against. You and I will be cut by the people that we never thought could hurt us. We will be let down by the people that we never thought could let us down. God knows that. God knows everything. Amen? God knew what was going to happen to you before you were ever born. And so he knew the pain and the struggle that we would face. He knew the difficulties that church would have. And he says, here is the answer. But what happens when we're upset is this. I don't care. If you've ever been married at any length of time and your spouse says, I don't care. They care. Amen? Where do you, where do you want to eat at? I don't care. You care if I stop and buy some ammunition? I don't care. They care. They care a lot. But friends, what happens is when I have been hurt and I have been wronged or you have been hurt and you have been wronged, God says, don't let it destroy you. Don't let it destroy your relationship with him. Don't let it restore, destroy your relationship with the church. Don't let it destroy your relationship with the pastor. Don't let it destroy your relationship with your Sunday school teacher. Because why? All of us will be prone to wander. All of us will be prone to struggle. But we have the privilege of being a part of turning the ship around. So he says, what is the blueprint for that? One, to go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. The Bible never condones gossip. The Bible never condones slander. 
The the Bible doesn't even condone going to the pastor first. The Bible tells us that when I have been sinned against, that I am to go and tell the person one on one. How many times have you as a parent saw your kids fighting? And they come into you and they're like, in our house it's, Jayla did this, Tinley did this, Lydia did this, Leslie did this, Kylie did this, Andrea did this. And I'm like, well, I don't know who did what. But you all need a spanking, right? But what you usually tell them is go work it out yourselves. And I wish I was a bold enough pastor to tell people that when they come to my office. But I'm not. I wish I could live these verses like the Bible says, but I struggle as well. So it could be like this. Monty comes to me and says, do you know what kind of son-in-law I got? A great one, I know, I know. Jake, I just don't understand him. I don't understand how a man like, I just don't understand it. And in my heart, I know Levi's a good man. He's a good husband. He's a good father. But I love Monty so much. Or Monty is so influential in the church. Or Monty gives more money than anyone else. And in that moment, I could say, Monty, I really think you ought to pray about it and you might be wrong. But what do most of us do? Don't get all holier than me now. You know what, Monty, I think I've seen that. That's all we say. But in that moment, what we have done is we have destroyed him and put gas on the fire. And at that point, sin is running amok. You say, Jake, you're you're meddling tonight. I can't help it. It's what the Bible says. Tonight, if our church is going to avoid the heartbreaks of other churches, avoid the heartbreak of other ministries, the people that are sitting on these chairs tonight, the people who make the decisions, the people who vote in business meetings, the people who teach Sunday school, the people who lead the singing, the people who care about their church, and the people who want to see God work have to say, I will have the integrity to do it God's way. That's what he says. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Tonight, if you were to stand up and say, I know the Bible says that I am supposed to pray, but I feel like I do not need to pray anymore. We would all look at you like, what has happened to that person? Or if you were to stand up tonight and say, I do not believe that I should ever read my Bible again. I have read it enough. I know it. Back to front. Tonight, I will no longer be reading my Bible. We would look at you and say, What is wrong? But tonight, if you said, I am not going to tell you when I am upset, most of us would say, that sounds about right. But yet it is in the same wording as the rest. It goes on in verse 16 and says, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them. And so we see the next step of rescuing people. I, uh, I always tell the story when I baptize people. Uh, one time I went to baptize a gentleman. and He was fairly large. And he missed the top step of the baptistry. And if you don't know this, those baptistry steps are really slick. I almost slipped coming into him this morning. And the iPad caught it. So if there's a blooper video, you will see it, all right? But as he missed that first step, I honestly thought, I am going to die right here. 
He is going to crush me and I'm going to die in the baptistry at 10 Mile Baptist Church. It's the truth. And I tell every kid that story because a lot of them are nervous. And they'll chuckle because I'm like, if you fall, I can catch you. All right. I'm not worried. It's not a big deal. And in that situation, it always, it always makes things a little easier. It always makes things a little more uh, understandable because they know that they're not the first person to fall. And why we take two or three together with us is not to have a posse to round up people that agree with you or to lynch the pastor, or lynch the deacon, or run off a Sunday school teacher, it is because there is enough evidence to prove what has happened. To prove the sin that is going on. Why is this? Because all of us can have a vendetta against someone. All of us can look at a certain person, and no matter what they do, it's wrong. All of us have been hurt by certain people. All of us have been in enough business meetings. All of us have sit in enough Sunday school classes. All of us have sit in enough committee meetings to know that there are some people you just don't like. And even if you do like them, you don't like listening to them. Some of you sit here and think that every Sunday morning and Sunday night. But we know that if they talk, I'm probably not going to listen. And that happens in the church. It happens in a family. Right now, we are working on our oldest child's shot. And uh, yesterday, we spent three or four hours practicing fundamentals, balance, right? Eye, elbow, follow through. And we practiced and we practiced and we practiced and we practiced. And when we left last night, it was lights out. I mean, we're talking. That kid was on. But you know what happens when her mother and her try to do that? She will not listen to her mother. She will not listen to her mother. Maybe they're just so much alike, I don't know. But she will not listen to the instruction of her mother, even though her mother is telling her the exact same thing as I am. But for some reason, I'm not listening to mom. Because she just thinks mom's had six kids, doesn't know what she's talking about. But mom was good. And that's how it happens in church. And so what happens here is when there are three or four witnesses that go with us, it is to, one, make sure that I who am going am validated, that I am not just exhibiting a vendetta. It also protects the one who is being approached that way that everything can be witnessed. I think that has been some of the hardest things as a pastor. As you may or may not know, uh, the deacons a few uh, years ago decided that any time there was a difficult meeting, that I should not have that meeting alone. There should be at least one deacon with me. Poor David Crane has sit through a lot of those with me, and he's not here tonight. But I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, it has been a blessing. And, and then what happens is there's always accountability. There's always someone there that can listen and hear and be a witness to the discussion. But from time to time, someone will stop by the church, call me and want to meet, and I will be blindsided. And in those moments, it is some of the most difficult because Why? Even though it was done according to Matthew 15, it wasn't done with a goal of reconciliation. It was with the goal of accomplishing division. You see, friends, my door is always open as your pastor. You can come in and complain about my sermons. You can ask questions. You can have disagreements. But you should always come into the person that you disagree with with the hope 
that it reconciles. The hope that two people can reunite for the glory of God. You say, well, Jake, I just don't know about this. Why does it matter? Because sin destroys the church. Today, we live in a world that the holiness of the church does not matter. We want to make the church as worldly as we can to apply and, and reach lost people. But tonight, I want you to know something. I hope it is never said, as long as I'm the pastor here, that you know what? I'm lost and I come to church and it didn't bother me at all. I want people who are lost to leave here knowing that they're lost. I want people to leave here that are living in sin to know that God's word has been preached to them and they need to repent. You say, Jake, how can you grow a crowd at a church? Two reasons. Stop teaching the truth and give out money. And you will draw a crowd. We don't want a crowd. We want people who are loving God, living holy. And when lost people look at our lives, there is a difference. There is something about us that they do not have. There is something about us that they cannot explain. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. We're not going to read them all tonight, but you're probably familiar with the story. A man and his wife sell a piece of property. They didn't have to sell the piece of property. They didn't have to give the proceeds from the piece of the property away. But apparently they had told the church that they were going to sell this piece of property and give it all. That way they could find favor and move up the corporate ladder at church. And as you're familiar with this story, they sold it for a piece of, for an amount of money, but yet kept a certain amount of money hidden. The man comes and lays the money down, and you're probably familiar with this story. Peter asks him, why have you lied? Why have you grieved the Holy Spirit? And that man is struck dead immediately. Three hours later, and I heard John MacArthur say, I was born in the wrong decade and in the wrong century. Because if they were still having church and she was three hours late, can you imagine those sermons? Nobody's complaining about 1130 like this morning when it came and went. But yet, also this woman was three hours late for church. I don't know if you know anyone like that, but... The problem still exists. And so she comes in and the same question is asked. She says, yes, that's the amount of money. That's exactly what was sold for. And she is killed by the Holy Spirit. You say, Jake, there is no way that sin being dealt with in the church, God can bless. There is no way that if we don't compromise and water down the gospel and water down holiness and water down what God's people should be living, that God can bless the church. But in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, after two people had been struck dead for lying to the Holy Spirit, and I do believe that was very much an apostolic age. I believe that you can lie in church now, and God's not going to strike you dead, but it could happen. But listen to what it says in verse 14. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitude of both men and women. You see, when God's church and God's people care about living holy lives, and the Spirit of God convicts and works and moves in our midst, God builds His church. Friends, the greatest damage we can do to Ten Mile Baptist Church is to compromise on the Word of God. To compromise that God's people should live holy. To compromise that God's people should be praying. To compromise that God's people should be reading and studying and living out their faith. 
In Acts chapter, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the same thing happens. There's a man who, as you are familiar, is living in a terribly sexual, immoral situation. And uh, the man, the, the man is, is living with his father's wife in a sexual nature. And Paul's writing to them going, what has happened to you? How is this going on? But in verse 6 of that chapter, he says this, Your glorying is not good. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. You say, Jake, but I'm not living in sin like that. I'm not doing things like that. But yet, if you have been sinned against, and you are carrying unforgiveness, if you're carrying bitterness, if you're carrying a desire that you know you should go to someone, it is sin. And sin always corrupts. It always spreads. One more verse tonight and I will end the pain. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, how many trespasses? Any trespass. It doesn't matter if someone comes in tomorrow and says, Jake, I'm a, I'm a closet alcoholic. I've been drinking. I've got 70 UIs. <coughs> and I know it's wrong. I want to find forgiveness. Tonight you could come in and say, Jake, I've got the longest tongue in church. I gossip. I backbite. <coughs> no one even knows about it. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you say, Jake, what sin do we have to forgive? Any of them. Jake, what person do we have to allow to find forgiveness when they ask? Any of them. There is not a sin that you can look at someone and say, you have went too far, that God won't forgive you, this church won't forgive you, you have no place here. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Why do we forgive? Because there will come a point in your walk with Christ that someone will need to forgive you. You say, not me, Jake. I've been in church 50 years and I've never offended anybody. That's because no one had the courage to tell you. You say, Jake, that's not right. It is right. You say, Jake, I only gossip at home with my wife. That wife of yours is not the one that wronged you. I'm meddling and I'm sorry. You say, Jake, we only have our conversations of division in the car ride home. How many children have been damaged by that conversation? Tonight, I ask you this simple question. Look what it says in verse 18. Because these verses have been used by the Pentecost and some other groups to, 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 to twist what it means here. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So some people say, well, as long as I both, you and I both agree that we need a Mercedes, Mercedes is on the way. It's not. It's talking about one topic here, forgiveness. You see, I don't have the power to forgive somebody. 
and neither do you. That's why I disagree with the Pope and the papacy and the Catholic Church. I disagree with all the councils and all the rulings. I disagree with bishops. I disagree with all those hierarchies because the local church is the highest authority on this earth. Jesus said right here, it's the local church. There is no higher court than you as God's people in this place. There is no one else that's going to be held accountable for the decisions this church makes except for us. You say, well, I'll blame it on the Southern Baptist Convention. That ain't going to work. You say, I'll blame it on the Illinois Baptist State Association. That won't work. If this church goes astray, there will be one group of people that have to answer for it. And it is us. Because you, God's people, that's why I believe in congregationalism. I believe that each Baptist member deserves a vote and a voice. Why? Because you're going to have to answer for your conscience and your vote. It's not a dictatorship. It is God's people making God's decision for His church here. You say, Jake, I don't want that kind of pressure. I can't help it. It's the way it is. You say, that's good. I don't come and I don't vote. I don't have an opinion. Then you're guilty by association. I knew that wouldn't go over well, but that's okay. It's true. What he says here is this. When someone asks for forgiveness... Guess what? Heaven has forgiven them. What you are doing here is you are agreeing with heaven. Because the Bible says that if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And the Bible says that if you will confess your sins, you will be forgiven. And it says here that if someone will not confess their sins, if they won't turn from them, then heaven has already declared them guilty. And so where certain groups say this is the power of the pastor to forgive you or condone you, condemn you, excuse me. It's not what it means. It means literally that when we apply God's work and God's word, it is already settled in heaven. And so I want you to hear this tonight. If you never hear anything else I preach for the rest of my life, if we will do these verses, God will honor them. If we will live these verses, God will bring this church to a place of unity that is not superficial. It will be a unity that can survive anything. It will be a church that can work and move and disagree and love and forgive and be who God wants us to be. Because why? God's already promised it in heaven. His word is true. It never returns void. And so it might not make sense. It might not sound pleasant. It might not make sense that it could possibly work in the day and culture that it lives. Friends, I believe a dead man came back to life. I believe God spoke the whole world into existence in six literal days. I believe that a, that a man with a stick walked up to a sea and God parted the water and he walked across it on dry land. I believe Lazarus was dead and Jesus brought him back to life. And I believe one of these days, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to split the eastern sky and come back for me. If he can make someone forgive, seems like a pretty small miracle. Maybe we should believe him. Maybe we should believe him. And in verse 20, it says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there 
in the midst of them. When just two people can agree to forgive. When just two people will agree that I'm going to go to you in love. And I'm going to tell you how I've been hurt. He says that he will be in the midst of them. Now, I know that God is all places all the time. But there is no doubt the Bible teaches that the presence of God can become more active or less active in a church. He can become more active or less active in a person grieving the Holy Spirit. And what he says is, if we will do it this way, his spirit will begin to get more active in the church. I don't know about you, but when I preach, I want the Holy Spirit to be an active and as working and as powerful as he wants to be. But you know what happens? Things happen that we can't explain. Things will happen that we don't want to happen. God will tear down strongholds and burdens in our hearts and lives that we have no business with him dealing with. And that's what you have to admit. When you forgive another, it unleashes what God can do in a congregation. I believe this. I have never preached a local associational meeting. Not one in ten years. And this is why. I believe every Baptist church has so much unforgiveness to another one that God can't bless them. Well, I remember back in the 90s when Blooming Grove was bigger than 10 Mile. And you know what happened. There was a fight over the cemetery and 10 Mile took all their people and now they're bigger than Blooming Grove. Well, I remember when Antioch, they were doing this. And I remember when New Salem was doing this. And I remember when Dittany Ridge was doing this. And I remember when First Baptist was doing this. And this happened and that happened. And the pews are full of people who have been wronged or feel they have been wronged. But will do nothing but what? Sit and soak and sour. And all God says is, if you just ask for forgiveness, they might not forgive you, but I will. Friends, all I want in my life is for God to forgive me. I want you to forgive me, but all I really need is Him to forgive me. And so I believe Baptist churches all across the country are going to keep closing, keep dying, and it's because of one reason. It's not because their preaching's unbiblical. Most of their preaching's even better than mine. It's not because their church are full of heretics. Absolutely not. It is because they preach the Word of God, but they are refusing to apply it. And tonight, if I was to ask you, if you knew the Word of God, but yet would not do the good that it says, what is that called? Sin. We're living in open sin against God and we won't even admit it. But tonight it can all change. Every bit of it can change tonight. If you would stand with me tonight as Jamie comes. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I am admitting tonight that if I have said anything that I should not have said, revealed too many details, whatever it was, God, that you'd forgive me. But God, tonight I pray that your word has pierced to the very core of who we are. To the people pleaser. To the angry fighter. To the person who just doesn't care anymore. Tonight, Lord, I pray that your word spoke to them through your spirit. Father, I pray tonight that tonight that this group of people would have heard my heart and compassion for reconciliation. For rescue for healing, for hope,
So tonight, Lord, whatever relationship is in our life, whether it's personal, whether it's marital, whether it's church, that, Lord, has been tore apart, I pray tonight, God, that you'd give us the courage to call that person on the phone, to send them a text, to meet with them face to face and say, this is what's happened. And God, give us the humility to say, I'm sorry. And God, to forgive and to watch what only you can do. Lord, I'm thankful tonight that Jesus died in our place and that he is willing to forgive us when we ask. And so God, I pray tonight that this would be a moment of change and a moment of healing and a moment of freedom. God, that we have never even seen before. But yet it would accomplish great rewards for your kingdom. Father, I pray tonight that if I've offended anybody with anything other than your word, that you would forgive me and they would. And God, I'm going to give you all the praise and the honor and ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. We just would like to thank you for watching today's sermon. And we pray that it has been a blessing and an encouragement in your walk with Jesus Christ. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.